0: Our evolved knowledge these days is that there's not just a different diet for every athlete and every sport, but athletes should be eating differently from day to day because they train differently from day to day, and they should be trying to match up their intake, their nutrition with the goals of those training sessions and what they're trying to get out of the the bigger part of that um, period of their sporting career.
1: People all around the world love sport from playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. On this episode of Behind the Games, we talk to head of discipline sports nutrition at the Australian Institute of Sport, Canberra, Australia, Professor Louise Burke. OAM. Hi, Louise. How are you? Good, thank you. Louise, you are my first guest with Medal of the Order of Australia for services to Sports Nutrition as a Dietitian and through Academic Research and Administrative Roles 2009. Congratulations. Please yes. tell me about that great honour and the day in 2009 that occurred.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, it was a great honour. It was unexpected. Um, you do your job because you want to do your job well, and I'm passionate about... The work that I do and the team that I'm working with and I guess I was lucky enough to be um, given a, an honour for a, a great body of work that um, I lead with a great group of people to work with and when we found out about it, um, I knew there would be a ceremony and I got to choose and I chose that would have it in um, Canberra. My husband lives in Melbourne but I thought it would be important to have it in Canberra so we went to Governor House yes. and my son Jack was there and he was four and he was... Um, Mesmerised by all the soldiers that were all there also receiving their Medal wow. of Honour. And I got to meet Quentin Bryce, and she was just terrific. She's got a wonderful wardrobe of clothes, let me say. Okay. But she also has an incredible interest in people. So everybody that received an award from her that day... Um, she had something to ask them that was really relevant and a a real genuine interest in what they did. And I was just so impressed by her ability to um, make people feel important, um, ranging from people who received awards for doing a great job in their school environment to people who, you know, do brain surgery to doing really sort of important things at a a much more judge level. So um, it made me reflect on what I do and, and just the incredible Honor that I have to be in the role that I have, because you know not everybody can have the full-time role working in sports nutrition and and really indulging their passion. You know, some people have said that if you can go to work every day and feel like it's not your job, then you know you're the luckiest person in the world, and that's how I feel.
1: Did she say anything to you specifically when she met you that time? Did she, was there anything she directly said to you?
0: Yeah, look, she said it, it must be a wonderful thing to work with people who are excellent and to see how they achieve their goals and, you know, did I feel inspired to do what I could in my life by working in that environment? And I thought that was a really insightful yeah. observation. And it is true that um, when you work with people who are putting in their time and their efforts and their resources to be the best at what they do, then you can't help but want to feel like doing the same yourself.
1: Well said. Your position at the AAS, which is Australia's strategic high-performance sports agency, is responsible and accountable for leading the delivery of Australia's international sporting success. Do you feel amazing to be a part of that?
0: Oh, absolutely. And look, I can remember back to the 1988 Seoul Olympics when I was studying nutrition And at that stage, I didn't have any idea that there was such a thing as sports nutrition. Well, there wasn't. We had to make it up as we went. But I remember watching the games and thinking, you know, that is just the epitome of of excellence in a particular avenue. But that's the um, area that I feel really passionate about in terms of nutrition. And one day, I would just love to go to the Olympic Games and to see it for myself and be part of helping athletes get that feeling of just absolute joy at a job well done. And I remember thinking it then, but having no idea that there could be a pathway that would actually achieve that outcome. And now, when I look back, and I've been to five Olympic Games, and and you know each one's been as magic as, as the others. I'll feel a bit sad this year not to be going to Rio, but um, you know to to feel that you can be a contributor to a great effort. And and I think we all have to be careful that we don't cause things, or that you know our, our athletes aren't so dependent on us that they couldn't have done it without us. But to have been part of the environment that helped to produce um, a PB leading up to a gold medal or all the things in between is just an incredible um, honour and um, a thrill.
1: Give me some of those memorable moments from those 500 Games that really stands out to you.
0: Well, I've been involved with swimming in the early days Mm -hmm. and, you know, then seeing the success of the Australian swim team and what Don Talbot was able to do in terms of taking the culture of a team, which wasn't very successful when I started working with it in 1990, and then you know going through the Olympic Games um, to Sydney and then Athens where swimming was our dominant sport and we had the most incredible athletes, um, the... Um, Ian Thorpes and the Pat Thomases and the Susie O'Neills and Grant Hackett's you know they were incredible, and sometimes I think Australians have been led to a false sense of security about oh, it must be easy to mm, to be exactly. that, to be the best in the world because you know we've got someone like Ian that can yeah. can do it so many times and with without so much effort so um Working with swimming, I guess, made me feel that it's possible to, to start from zero. And when I started with the Australian swimming team, it really wasn't a, a winning team. But Don Talbot came in with this idea that, um, you know, we've all got two arms and two legs like all the other swimmers in the world. And he instilled a, a culture of excellence and teamwork. And he really wanted to focus on the relay teams to make them feel really important. In the old days, um, Australian swimmers didn't really like being on relays because they thought, oh, it might take the effort out of their individual event. And okay. so, you know, they sort of saved themselves, if you like. Sure. But then he built up that um, incredible feeling about teamwork and winning a medal, and then we had the Mean Machine and then moving through to 2000 with that wonderful four-by-one team. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, through that, that time, I really grasped the idea that... it even though we might look successful now, that there's times when you have to start from scratch and build your way way up. And I think, you know, what we've had to do in the last four years is a sort of a similar rebirth of all Australian sport. But um, knowing that you can do it, having seen that journey and seeing it being successful, I have, um, you know, no doubt that we can, you know, pursue those pathways again and, and, and be successful. So I guess the first couple of games were mostly about the you know, wonderful events um, around the swimming. Um, Sydney was a very special Games, just being there and having it part of your hometown and, and, you know, allowing our athletes to feel that um, spotlight in a way that's probably more special because all their friends and family around them was was terrific. But then, you know, each of the other Games has been wonderful in its own right. We did a lot of work in Beijing around um, finding strategies to help our athletes perform in the heat and humidity and, and pollution. And if anything, I think that Australians like a difficult games because we kind of feel that we're clever at things and that we're ingenious and that if there are more problems, we're going to be better off because we'll solve them and we'll we'll do that quietly and come up on... on and so we're better in those um, sort of harder times. If you have everything that's too comfortable, it takes away some of our advantage.
1: It's Australian way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You had a wide ranging sports nutrition programme at the IAS dealing with the athletes and managing a research team. Can you give me a general day for you?
0: Oh gosh. A general day for me can vary from doing a cooking class with an athlete and my husband says, Why are you a professor, you know, doing cooking classes? But I think that's a really important part of getting to the to the real element of what is nutrition. It's the practical part of being able to you know, produce food and have a convivial and enjoyable atmosphere around the eating of it. One of the things I love about doing cooking classes with athletes is that, um, you know, you get to know them and you hang out with them and you learn about them and often they'll be... You know, when an athlete comes to see you for for a consultation in a desk situation, they're on their best behaviour and so Mm. they don't tell you everything that's going on. But, you know, when you're eating over food and you're sort of relaxing with them and you're just um, shooting the breeze, if you like, then um, you learn a lot about them. But on that same day, I might actually go out and do a training session with an athlete because um, the current group that I'm working a lot with are the race walkers. And I love race walking because um, the race walkers walk at my running speed and so we often go out for sessions together and it's another opportunity where you know, we might go out on a, a two- or three-hour exercise session and um, you get to know a lot about that athlete and I'm practising some nutrition strategies on them so I'm being useful. But I'm also you know, enjoying the um, atmosphere of being with the best in the world or what they do and I'm picking that's up amazing. clues about how, how to be good at things at the same time that I might be feeding them their carbohydrate and, and fluids and helping them with their nutrition strategy, So I can be doing those very practical elements, but then at the other end of the spectrum I might be doing some research. And so we've had some terrific projects um, recently where we've really tried to get to the bottom of some of the burning questions in sports nutrition. And we've got an incredible opportunity at the AIS to do really good research that's applied Um Often, what happens in in a lot of sports nutrition research settings is that people come into the laboratory and they do things that are very lab based and stilted in terms of sports performance, doesn't really capture what performance is about, and they are often having to um, to get well trained people or even just you know recreational athletes from the local areas to to take part in the studies. Whereas um, we've been able to manage to do a lot of research on our own athletes or we've been able to invite high-caliber athletes to trust to come to us and um, give us their blood, sweat and tears in the, in the quest for some new knowledge. And so the kind of research that we've done is both really you know, cutting edge in terms of the science, but the application of it to sport and the way that it can change outcomes is really important. Wow,
1: well, well said. Food is a treasured part of Rio Janeiro life. With all the vibrant street food and upscale gourmet selections, there will be plenty for the athletes to eat once they get to Rio. What's your message to the team on that?
0: (laughs) Well, I think I'd stay inside the um, Olympic Village and just eat in the dining hall until after your event because you want to make sure that you're in um, a safe environment, both in terms of personal safety but in terms of food hygiene as well. So you know, keeping to things that have been prepared and and cooked to um, maximise hygiene issues is important. The other element that um, athletes forget about is that um, it's an all-you-can-eat, 24-hour, free-for-all environment sure. that is a different environment to what they're normally used to. And there's lots of stories I can tell over the years where athletes have been put into that environment and they're nervous and they're in taper so they haven't got as many hours of the day taken d- by exercise. And so they've often got so much time in their hands that they're spending it in the dining hall and eating far more than they need sure. or used to. And they don't recognise that there may be, you know, at this very critical time before their um, competition performance, it's sort of sabotaging their efforts by um, eating too much or the wrong sort of food.
1: Well said. Um, With most of the athletes living in the Olympic Village, uh, as you said, in the dining and cutting area, who has the logistics of feeding 15,000 athletes? Who has that job?
0: Well, there's a, a remarkable industry around this large quantity of catering, and several um, catering companies specialise in it. They um, they cater for Desert Storm or wars or other things as well wow. as you know big events like the Olympics, and so there generally is a, a group of people that go from each Olympics to the next. So they work with the local organising committee and they bring the expertise that they have in that general area, but also. Um generally, people from the previous games um, you know have a legacy and and bring it to the next games as well. so the um, the whole experience of of dining is a combination of the well um, experienced sort of background and and expertise that's been built up over many years from these companies. And it's combined with the local flavor of the organizing committee and the, and the environment in which the games are being held. And they integrate that so that you get all the things that you need, but just this um, terrific flair of, of the local cuisine and the local culture and, and um, sort of a, a mingling of all those things together.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Is there such thing as a complete athlete's diet?
0: no look, gosh when when I started working in this area, everyone sort of felt there was the diet for mm-hmm. the athlete, and that every diet every athlete would eat the same thing and they'd eat the same thing from day to day because once they got it right, then they wouldn't deviate from the perfect meal plan no. so our um our evolved knowledge these days is that there's not just a different diet for every athlete and every sport, but athletes should be eating differently from day to day because they train differently from day to day and they should be trying to match up their Intake their nutrition with the goals of those training sessions and what they're trying to get out of the the bigger part of that um, period of their of their sporting career. So, as you do this kind of exercise session or as you do this part of the of the um, year in terms of your um, planning goals, then the eating should be adapted to get the best out of that. And that means that um, there's not just you know, there's not even the Louise Burke diet. There's a range of different Louise Burke diets depending on what I'm doing today and what my overall goals are.
1: So true because it's, you know, um, nutrition advice for athletes. You know, having a male hammer throw athlete versus a tiny female gymnast, it's completely different, isn't
0: it? Absolutely. But as I said, you know, that gymnast should be eating differently from day to day depending on the, the sessions that she's doing. And, you know, the same with the, um, the big male as well.
1: Excellent. The AIS keeps an evidence-based listing of supplements with information about how well they work. Can you explain that, please?
0: Well, one of the areas of sports nutrition that's both frustrating to us as, um, as well as an area that we've jumped on to try and become a success story is the area of supplements. And it's just one of those things in life that everybody thinks that there's something that's too good to be true. And so there's a lot of supplements on the market, which is largely unregulated in terms of the claims it can make and the kinds of products that can be produced. And athletes are are just vulnerable to um, hearing stories about if you take this, it's going to make you blah, 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 bigger, Mm -hmm. stronger, faster, whatever it is that, you know, you need to be a better athlete. And so the AIS um, has a policy around food first for good reasons, but we've recognised that we can't ignore supplements and just say to athletes, well, don't take them, you're naughty, because that's something that's really, um, you know, close to the athlete's heart and coaches. But also there's a, a range of products that actually are quite useful for, 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 for sports performance. So we try and divide supplements into three different categories. We, we talk about sports foods, which are products that have been produced to be practical forms of everyday nutrition. So things like sports drinks and protein supplements, they really are just everyday nutrients. And the idea is that if you package them in a way that's more practical to consume if you're just about to exercise or you're doing exercise, then that helps the athlete meet those goals It would be difficult to do if they were trying to juggle bananas or eat a steak or something like that. So Mm -hmm. there's a role for those in sports nutrition. There's also a role for what we call the medical supplements. You know, athletes can become iron deficient or vitamin D deficient and so there's a role for having a set of supplements that help them to prevent or treat those deficiencies. And then the third group, and this is the one, of course, that gets most of the attention from athletes, is the performance supplements, things that can actually directly make you go faster, higher, stronger. So they're things like caffeine and creatine and um, beta-alanine. And there's actually a few of those products that have a good evidence base that they can work when used in the right context in the right way. Um, The majority of the supplements on the market don't fit that. And so the AIS then came up with this ABCD classification system to rank the evidence behind supplements. So we have our A group where we say these are products that when used in the right way could be part of an athlete's nutrition plan and, and be useful. So some of those are the performance supplements, the sports foods, the um, the medical supplements. Then we have our B group, which we think are things that are just sort of new in the market or new in scientific ideas not yet um, validated to be put into A but they're things that would be high priority to do some research on and then we have group C where we say this is the largest group um, and we don't say they don't work but we say the evidence for them working is so small that they're not really a good investment in terms of your time and your money and other resources and then there's the group D which are the ones that are either outright on the banned list for um, wider anti-doping rules or they've got a high risk of being contaminated, and so we warn athletes against them. And so what we've tried to do at the AAS is not say that athletes don't take them, but Mm -hmm. say, look, we're with you, and we're going to help you try and make your decisions by looking at our A, B, C, D classification and trying to focus your attention on the A's and B's after you've done your food first, but um, then we can help you with more information about how well to use those A's and perhaps B's um, in your environment.
1: Great insight. You're married to Professor John Hawley. Has John played a big part in your life success?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my husband, John, is wonderful. Um, he's he's long-suffering. I have to say, it's just a little inside, he calls me N plus one because he says whatever we've got time for or money for or whatever other resources um, you get in life, I always want to do one more thing. Um, so he supports me to be N plus one. But he's a great researcher in his own right and his area of exercise and nutrition um, is, is sort of borders onto the performance angles but he's more interested in the community health aspects of exercise and nutrition. So we often collaborate on projects where there might be a performance outcome but we also collaborate on things where there might be a community health story. So we've done projects around what's the best way of eating protein if you're doing resistance training and he wants to apply it to older people who need to be m- more metabolically functionings and also being able to have better quality of life and, and being able to get out of chairs and keep themselves independent. So I do the, st- the study with him and we do it in athletes and I find out an answer of how to help my athletes get bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. But he can take that same outcome and say, right, now I can help 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds remain as healthy as possible Mm -hmm. by combining some resistance training, which they've probably never heard of before, but um, now they should be doing it to maintain the muscle mass that will keep them out of hospital.
1: Wonderful. Little Jack Burke Hawley, Mm -hmm. age 12, is he following in mum and dad's footsteps?
0: Jack is an absolute delight. Jack is the um, joy of our lives and he's turned out to be a swimmer. Um, Yes, tomorrow he'll be swimming in the ACT School State Championships. Um, I'm being punished because um, having spent so much time working in swimming, I know what it's like to be a swimming parent and all those early mornings and and all the things that you give up, all the weekends and competition, etc. But it's just wonderful to see him being able to strive for excellence in in lots of things, but at the moment it's in swimming. And... uh, the funny part for us is that, you know, we're just his parents and we both look at each other and say, he just doesn't listen to us. Like, I can't tell him anything about nutrition and John struggles to tell him anything about um, the coaching side of things. And the number of times we've said to him, when you grow up and find out who we are... Exactly. Yeah, you and listens to yeah, you'll, you'll wish that you'd paid more attention.
1: Absolutely. What drives you every day?
0: Oh, it's hard to know. I mean, I... I like to feel that I've got the best out of the day and that I've done as many things as well as possible. I'm working with a number of athletes where I'm passionately committed to you know trying to help them get gold medals in in Rio, and um, you know That's I spend a lot a lot of time thinking about that. and it's not just because I want the gold medals, it's because you know I see the um just the thrill that you get when you do a job well. And also the spin-offs to all the other people around it. Um, One of the things that's happened recently in my life is to be able to go down last Friday and see Jared Talent get his gold medal from London. So Jared was second across the line in the the 50K walk, but um, he was beaten by a drug cheat. And it's taken four years for that to become um, public knowledge and to be rectified. But in that four years, I've seen Jared just be so patient and so humble and so deserving and ethical. You know, he doesn't spit the dummy or grizzle about, you know, the fact he's been beaten by a cheat. But, you know, finally on Friday, he got his chance, I was going to say in the sun, except it was pouring rain in Melbourne. Sure. But just to see the group of people around him, the scientists, the coaches, his family, his friends, the fellow walkers, and just to see the contribution that, They'd all made to his outcome, but also what they got out of that experience. You know, I mean, so many people just felt uplifted um, for Jared, but also as a recognition of the small part that they'd played in that. And I think that's a wonderful thing about sport that it can, you know, lift you and 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 make all the good things about um, qualities of of life. Mm, you know, the values of mm, sport.
1: You're also an elite sports participation um, woman yourself. 1986 Bud Light Ironman, tri- Bud. 1986 Bud Light Ironman Triathlon World Championship, Hawaii. Member of the Australian team. Second place in international team cup competition. What was that like?
0: Well, I have to correct you there. I'm an absolute punter when it comes to sport. I I've been given a very moderate amount of sporting talent, but I've tried to um, maximise the outcomes just through you know, trying to train well and, and trying to eat well. And a lot of my sport for me was, a, a, it was an N equals one experiment because when I started doing Ironman triathlons, I had done triathlon before, but um, what we knew about endurance and ultra-endurance nutrition was was just minuscule compared to what we know now. And I can tell you in that first Ironman, what we had along the, um, the course in terms of aid stations, we had guava jelly sandwiches and um, bananas. We didn't have any of the sports foods that are, you know, so easy to consume these days it would allow me to reach the carbohydrate targets i now know to be important so you know a lot of the work that i did in the early days was a part of just learning from about it for myself um the only thing that's been really good about the last 10 years of aging is that i'm aging less than other people that would seem functionally so my talent as an athlete's got better um Relatively, so I'm I'm now being able to do marathons and, and place in my age group. You know, in, in large city marathons, which is an absolute thrill for me, because um, I don't deserve to be that, um, you know, that high up in the score, in terms of absolute terms. But it's nice to know that I'm not getting as um, I like guess raggedy in my old age as some um, some of my um, fellow human beings. No, you look great. <laughs>
1: um, you mentioned before you're not heading to Rio for the Olympic Games. Why is that?
0: Well, look, I've been to five, and it's been a Remarkable um, opportunity and an honour to be part of the team, but at the same time, you're thats a role that only one person can have as the headquarters dietitian. So, it was high time to pass it on to some of my deserving um, staff. And so, Greg Cox, who's um, been a, a long time member of my department and um, a, you know a very close friend and and great colleague, is um, going to be heading up that role now. And, um, it's you know, it's, it, it, the standard is for me to be sitting home watching it. I feel really pleased that he's doing such a wonderful job and he'll get that, um, that you know, opportunity to see it all for himself and just to have that... Um, I hope he'll have that experience of marching in the opening ceremony because that's just such a wonderfully... Um, it's, it's a feeling you can't explain to anybody else. So try. <laughs> Each time you sort of think, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I don't know if I'm going to go. And, of course, to get there, um, there's only so many people that are allowed to march from a team. So it means that some athletes have chosen not to march to make way for some of the support staff to be there. So it is an absolute privilege, let's be be, um, clear about that. Um, And then, you know, you you take that afternoon off to, to sort of get ready and then all of a sudden you're standing out the side outside you don't get to see any of the opening ceremony people say to me oh wasn't sydney's opening ceremony wonderful i think i haven't still seen it wow. because i was standing outside the the um, stadium but then the moment comes when you get to march in and you're sort of in dark and then you get into this into the stadium and there's just this burst of color and sound and and Amazing. just so many senses and it, it, it is the most remarkable thing and for all those times that I have to put up with, you know, friends of mine saying, Oh, sports stuffed, you know, there's too much corruption and yeah. too many drugs and yeah. you know, it's a horrible why why do you even bother? And it's such a frivolous area of your of your life. Why don't you do something like cure cancer with your brains, etc.? But in that moment when you walk into the stadium and you realise that there is some fabulous stuff about sport and about striving to be at the best and there are plenty of sports people that have wonderful values and the value of the Olympic movement is so wonderful. Well, That's why you're there and it all comes to you and you just get a chance to, um, I guess, feel like what you're doing makes sense.
1: Thanks for sharing that. That was really special. Are you looking forward to going to the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018 yourself? Will you make it there?
0: I hope so. It's a lovely thing to have it in your home country. Um, Some of the events or some of the um, sports that I work with will be represented on the program, so I hope I can get there and um, be a support for the athletes that I'm working with. If I'm not um, there working, I'll be there watching because it's. Um, I think you know when you get the chance to have a big event like that on your on your home soil, then you really have to make the most of, of um, sucking it all up.
1: Absolutely, Louise. I ask all my guests this: if you could place a phone call to yourself at a young age of twenty, what advice would you give yourself?
0: I would give myself the advice of thanking Trevor Barker. And there's a story behind this. Trevor Barker, if, if you're not an AFL fan, was the best football player of his, of, his, of his era. He played for the Saints. My long, yeah. I'm a long-suffering Saints supporter. And he was their star player. So he yeah. was like a David Beckham, but in a really crappy team. Yeah. And when I was studying nutrition and was convinced that it um, would make a difference to sports performance, I wrote to him and said, I really think the Saints would do better if um, there was sports nutrition attached to their activities. I reckon Trevor Barker would have received, I don't know, 90,000 fan letters a week from young girls. But he took that letter and he gave it to the team doctor, who rang me and said, would you like to come down and um, spend some time with us? and, And... I guess why I'd like to thank him is that I've had so many times in my life where where I've got to be is because of just absolute good luck and the, the investment by somebody else. Often for something I didn't deserve, like when I did get down and start working with the saints, I wasn't old enough, I wasn't mature enough, I didn't have enough knowledge about science and sports nutrition wasn't a, an evolved science either so what I could offer them then wasn't what I could offer them now. But someone took a chance on me and Trevor Barker was that first person and I'd like to um, both thank him for that but also I'd like to remind myself that you can work as hard as you get but a lot of what you do will be about good luck as well. So keep at it. You make your own luck in a certain sense but you'll, you'll be given some opportunities that you can either grab or let go and I think you know make the most of them.
1: Well said. Professor Louise Burke, OAM. We appreciate your time, and thanks very much for being on Behind the Games Podcast.
0: Thanks.